0: section four of self and self-management essays about existing by arnold bennett this librivox recording is in the public domain a dangerous lecture to a young woman one it was at a war charity sale in a hot crowded public room of a fashionable hotel amid the humorous bellowings of an amateur auctioneer and the guffaws of amused bidders that this thing happened to me A young woman was passing and as she passed she looked and stopped and abruptly charged me with being myself i admitted the undeniable i hope you will excuse me she said i've read all your books the usual amiable chatter i thought and made aloud my usual stilted self-conscious reply to such a conversational opening you must have worked very hard She frowned, just a little frown in the middle of her forehead. She was very well dressed, which is not a fault, and she had a pleasant, sympathetic, serious face. She said, I've often wanted to tell you. In fact, I thought I ought to tell you about all those little books of yours about life and improving oneself and being efficient and not wasting time and so on and so on they're very nice to read, but they've never done me any good, practically." She smiled. No, it was not to be the usual amiable chatter. "'I'm sorry,' I said, "'but of course books don't act by themselves. You can't expect them to be of much practical good until you begin to put them into practice.' "'But that's just the point,' she answered. I can't begin to put them into practice, I can't resolve, and I can't concentrate, and I can't clench my teeth and make up my mind. And if I do make a start, it's a failure after the first day. And this goes on year after year, no use blaming me, I can't help myself. I want awfully, but I can't. But what do you want? I want to make the best of myself. I want to stop wasting time and to perfect my human machine. I want to succeed in life. I want to live properly and bring out all my faculties. Only, you see, I haven't got any resolution. I simply have not got it in me. You tell me to make up my mind, steal myself, resolve, stick to it, and so forth. Well, I just can't, and yet I do want to. You've never dealt with my case, and what's more, I don't think you can deal with it. I hope you'll pardon all this bluntness, but I thought that as a student of human nature, you might be interested. I stood silent for a moment. She bowed with much charm and fled away. I gazed everywhere, but she was lost in the huge room. I could not very well run in pursuit of her. These things are not done in literary circles she had vanished and i knew naught of her she might be young girl young wife young mother anything but i knew naught of her except that she had a sympathetic rather sad face and that she had left an arrow quivering in my side two a few hours later however i spoke to the young creature as follows It seems to me that you may have been running your delightful head up against an impossible proposition. Perhaps you have been hoping to create energy in yourself. Now, you cannot create energy, either in yourself or elsewhere. Nobody can. You can only set energy free, loosen it, transform it, direct it. You may take a ton of coal and warm a house with it, the heat energy of the coal is transformed, set free, and directed to a certain purpose. But if you try to warm the house by means of open coal fires in old-fashioned fire grates, you will warm the chimneys and some of the air above the chimneys, and yet the rooms of the house will not be appreciably warmer than they were when you began. On the other hand, you may take a ton of exactly the same kind of coal, and by means of a steam-heating system in the cellar warm the rooms of the house to such an extent that you have to wear your summer clothes in the depth of winter the steam-heating system however has not increased the heat energy of the coal it has merely set free utilised and directed the heat energy of the coal in a common sense that is to say a scientific manner no amount of common sense and ingenuity will get as much heat energy out of half a ton as out of a ton of coal you may devise the most marvellous steam heating system that exists on this side of the grave but if there is no fuel in the furnace or if there is in the furnace a quantity of coal inadequate to the size of the house the house will never be comfortable except for polar bears and lovers the available coal is the prime factor well an individual is born with a certain amount of energy and no more just as you cannot pour five quarts out of a gallon as a rule you cannot pour even four quarts so you cannot extract from that individual more energy than there is in him and what is more important you cannot put additional quantities of energy into him you may sometimes seem to be putting energy into him But you are not. You are simply setting his original energy free, applying a match to the coal or fanning the fire. An individual is an island on whose rocky shores no ship can ever land that most mysterious commodity, energy. You may transfuse blood, but not the inexplicable force that makes the heart beat and defies circumstance some individuals appear to lack energy when as a fact they are full of energy which is merely dormant waiting for the match or waiting for direction other individuals appear to lack energy and in fact do lack energy and you cannot supply their need any more than you can stop their hair from growing no young lady it is useless to interrupt me by asking me to define what I mean by the word energy. To define some words is to cripple them. You know well enough what I mean by energy. I mean the most fundamental thing in you. Being a reasonable woman, you admit this, and then go on to demand first how you can be quite sure whether you have been born with a large or medium or a small quantity of energy and second how you can be quite sure that you have not lots of energy lying dormant within you you cannot be quite sure of anything this is not a perfect world but as regards the second part of your question you can be reasonably sure after a certain number of years I will not suggest how many that energy is not lying dormant within you, awaiting the match. It is impossible for anybody indefinitely to continue to wander in a world full of lighted matches without one day encountering the particular match that will set fire to his fuel. And beware of that match, for sometimes the result of the contact is an explosion which shatters everything in the vicinity. If you have dormant energy, one day it will wake up and worry you, and you will know it is there. As regards the first part of your question, the usual index of the amount of energy possessed by an individual is the intensity of the desires of that individual. It is desire that uses energy. Strong desires generally betoken much energy, and they are definite desires Without desires energy is rendered futile Nobody will consume energy in action unless he desires to perform the action either for itself or as a means to a desired end But now you complain that I am once more avoiding your case You assert that you have desires without the corresponding energy or corresponding will to put them into execution I doubt it. I do not admit it. You must not confuse vague general aspirations with desire. A real desire is definite, concrete. If you have a real desire, you know what you want. You cannot merely want. You are bound to want something. Further, to want something only at intervals when the mind is otherwise unoccupied. Is no proof of a real desire. It amounts to nothing more than a sweet, sad diversion, a spiritual pastime, a simple and pleasant way of making yourself believe that you are a serious person. The desire which indicates great energy is always there worrying. It is an obsession, it is a nuisance, it is a whip and a scorpion, it has no mercy and individuals having immense energy have commonly been actuated by a single paramount desire which monopolizes and canalizes all their force the pity is that these individuals have become the special symbols of success when they have achieved their single paramount desire they are said to have got on to have succeeded and every one points an admiring finger at them and cries this is success in life and the majority of books about success in life deal with this particular brand of success and assume that it is the only brand of success worth a bilberry and exhort all people to imitate the notorious exemplars of the art of getting on and in that narrow sense which is absurd and now perhaps we both feel that i am at last approaching your case but i do not wish to be personal let us take the case of mr flack who died last week unknown his discerning friends said of him he had a wonderful financial gift if he'd concentrated on it he might have rivalled Harriman, but he wouldn't concentrate either on that or on anything else He was interested in too many different subjects, books, pictures, music, travel, physical science, love, economics. In fact, everything interested him, and he was always interested in something. He was too all-round. He frittered his energy away and wasted enormous quantities of time, and so he never succeeded. Such was the verdict of some of Flack's admirers, but it occurs to me that Flack may have succeeded after all. Certainly he did not succeed in becoming a financial magnate, but he succeeded in being interested in a large number of things, and therefore in having a wide mind. He succeeded in being always interested and he succeeded in not being lopsided, which men of one supreme desire as a rule are. Men who are successful in the narrow sense generally pay a fearful price for their success. His friends regret that he wasted his time, but really if he accomplished all that he admittedly did accomplish, he couldn't have wasted a very great deal of time. QUITE POSSIBLY THE LATE MR FLACK USED TO WAKE UP IN THE NIGHT AND CURSE HIMSELF BECAUSE HE COULD NOT CONCENTRATE, AND BECAUSE HE COULD NOT STICK TO ONE THING, AND BECAUSE HE WASTED HIS TIME, AND BECAUSE WITH ALL HIS GIFTS HE DID NOT MATERIALLY PROGRESS, AND BECAUSE HE MADE NO IMPRESSION ON THE GREAT PUBLIC. QUITE POSSIBLY IN MOMENTS OF GLOOM HE HAD REGRETS ABOUT THE DISSIPATION OF HIS ENERGY. But he could not honestly have regarded himself as a failure i should like to know why it is necessarily more righteous to confine one's energy to a single direction than to let it spread out in various directions it is not more righteous if a man has one imperious desire his righteousness is to satisfy it fully But if a man has many mild equal desires, his righteousness is to satisfy all of them as reasonably well as circumstances permit. And I see no reason why one should be deemed more successful than the other. Yes, young woman, I know what your excellent modesty is going to say. It is going to say that the late Mr. Flack did show energy, though he fritted it away. And that you do not show energy now I do not want to defend you against yourself for possibly you enjoy denouncing yourself and proving that you are worthless nevertheless I would point out that energy is often used in ways quite unsuspected energy is a very various thing some people use energy in arranging timetables and sticking to them and in clenching their teeth and making terrific resolves and executing them and in never wasting a moment and in climbing climbing and this is all very laudable but energy can be used in other ways in contemplation in self-understanding in understanding other people in pleasing other people in appreciating the world in lessening the friction of life have personally come across persons especially women who were idle who were mentally inefficient who made no material contribution to the enterprise of remaining alive but whose mere manner of existence was such that i would say to them in my heart it is enough for me that you exist we have all of us come across such persons And the world would be a markedly inferior sort of place if they did not exist exactly as they are you dear young woman may or may not be one of these i cannot decide but anyhow if you are not one of the hard striving resolute persevering teeth clenching totally efficient one-ideared ambitious species you need not despair imagine what the world would be like if we were all ruthlessly set on succeeding it would be like a scene of carnage and it is conceivable that you are in fact much more efficient than you think and that you are wasting much less time than you think and that you are employing much more energy than you think you complained that you lacked resolution which means that you lacked one steady desire But perhaps your steady desire and resolution are so instinctive, so profoundly a part of you, that they function without being noticed. And if you do indeed lack one steady desire and the energy firmly to resolve, well, you just do, and you will have to be content with your lot. Why envy others? An overmastering desire and its accompanying energy are not necessarily to be envied. A dangerous doctrine, you say. You say that I am leaving the door open to sloth and slackness and other evils. You say that I am finding an excuse for every unserious person under the sun. Perhaps so. But what I have said is true and i will not be afraid of the truth because it happens to be dangerous moreover every person ought to know in his heart whether or not he is conducting his existence satisfactorily but he must interrogate his conscience fairly it is not fair either to one's conscience or to oneself to listen to it always for example in the desolating dark hour before the dawn and never to listen to it, for example, after one has had a good meal, or a good slice of any sort of honest pleasure. And lastly, I have mentioned envy. We are apt to mistake mere envy of the successful for an individual desire to succeed. Yet an envious realisation of all the advantages, and none of the disadvantages, of success Is scarcely the same thing as a genuine instinct for getting on is it 3 this long speech which I made to the young dissatisfied creature might have been extremely effective if I could have made it to her face I ought however to mention that I did not make it to her face I have been reporting a harangue which I delivered in the sleepless middle of the night to her imagined image. It is easier to be effective in reply when the argumentative opponent is not present. End of section four.